It's great to have you here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ways from me so you can save more and spend less. Don't let anybody ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website, and ClarkDeals.com is where you find ways to save money, stretch every dollar. Oh, coming up in today's Clark Rageous Moment. You are not going to believe what a senior officer of a bank did to steal money from charities. Absolutely Clark Rageous. And coming up in a a half hour, I want to talk about if you are one of those people who intends to be more fit, but it just doesn't seem to get done, I've got some inspiration for you It's a study that finds what are the habits that lead somebody to be more likely to get the workout done. I want to talk right now about something that we're dealing with as a country. We're an aging population, and every day, thousands of people turn 65. There are estimates as high as 10,000 people turn 65 every day. It's just a simple math extrapolation that if you take the people born from 1946 to 1964, the baby boomers, and you take their population divided out, you've got so many turning into 65 pluses every single day. And more and more of those people, as they age are going to need maybe some assistance. Maybe they're not so good driving. Maybe as they get older, they can't get to the doctor on their own. Maybe even they need help with a variety of things in their lives that still allow them to live independently. Well, there's a whole new job classification that... I read about, what magazine was I read about, read about this? It's called being a concierge, which is an old term from hotels and all that, but that you're one for your fellow citizen. Some people refer to as senior concierges, that you are available on a daily or hourly basis to help somebody out. You may even be older yourself, but you're still able to do everything you need to do, and maybe you have spare time, or you have some need for some spare cash, and so you work as a concierge, elder concierge, senior concierge, concierge, whatever you want to call it, and AARP says that a huge number of people right now who are older are being cared for by their kids. But so many people in the country live in a different place than their adult children. So you can't lean on them if they're living across America from you. So if you hire one of these concierges, They make good money. I saw a New York Times story. These people are making $25 to $40 an hour. So it could be a nice part-time gig for you 
to help somebody else out. There are now a number of organizations that have popped up, both for-profit and non-profit, that help people find jobs doing this and match you up with somebody who needs the help. And again, not a full-time gig, usually working from a few to several hours a week where you are able to serve others and provide help to them. And then again, if you were an adult child, you can tell on the visits you make back home that mom or dad or mom and dad are needing a little more help. They're slowing down. This is a potential way you could help. And know there are geriatric social workers that are available around the country when you, on those visits, you start to wonder, hey, how much help do mom and dad or mom or dad need? You can hire a geriatric social worker to come do an evaluation and figure out, and they can give refer out, referral out to you having someone who could be a part-time helper, a part-time assistant to your parent or parents. I know you didn't need another job, another responsibility, but don't look the other way when your parents need help you can't provide. Charles is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charles. Hi. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Charles. You have a question for me about maintaining records. (laughs) Yes. Um, You've always stated how it's important to receive uh, paper statements for all your banking accounts. And um, I was wondering, how about downloading the PDFs from the bank websites and storing them, like, on your Chromebook or something, and then just backing that up? Is that a plausible alternative? A hundred percent. Oh, great. Completely. If you, you know, my whole thing is whatever method works for you to store, whether it's with, a, a, you know, a, a USB that you plug in, you know, a thumb drive, or it's storing in the cloud, or printing out PDFs that you put in a file cabinet. The key is to have some kind of backup. I mean, when you think about what happened around the world recently, I guess it was last month, when all those computer systems around the world got hacked, imagine if the hackers and the day will come if they had just wiped databases clean. And that's why I want you to have some form of backup. And so for most people, just having a paper copy is going to be what they're going to do. But if you are the kind of person who thinks digitally and you could just take that PDF and you make a digital copy of that or whatever, that's great. Sounds great. You're just thanks, getting thanks the job that. done and you're having the, uh, the documentation, the records, if there ever came a time that your account needed to be recreated. And how far back should I go? 
Well, it depends on what kind of thing you're dealing with. As an example, with my investment accounts, I keep the last statement of two years ago, you know, the the year-end statement, and then keep the monthlies for last year and this year. And then as I get to the next year, when I get to next January, the ones from two years ago, those go away. Those are shredded except for the last, the year-end statement for that year. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty methodical about how I maintain records. And a lot of people that are really record crazy keep too much stuff. And I used to be one of those people. I've learned when keeping records ends up being too much and coming up with ways that work for me. Sounds great. But great idea to do the PDFs and then store them in the cloud or uh, I love the external hard drives. Whatever you do so that you have one method or if you're really paranoid, have two methods of backing up your data in the event that someone you're doing business with says, prove it that you really have that account. Prove it that you really own that investment. And if you have no paper trail, no records, how are you going to prove it? Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bill. Clark, how are you doing? I'm a huge fan and a longtime listener, and I appreciate all the advice you give. Well, thank you very much, Bill. And you are quasi-retired. <laughs> well, trying to get there. I'm, I'm projecting uh, uh, what my retirement uh, income and expenses might be uh, if I do a full retirement in about five years. I've got, uh, I've got a five-year window that I'm planning for. And I'm, I'm trying to see if it makes more sense to uh, just uh, use my savings as cash flow and continue paying my mortgage or to pay the mortgage off and lose the tax deduction, but certainly uh, negate the need to pay a mortgage. Tax deduction, unless you're an ultra-high income earner, mm-hmm. the tax deduction is worth a great deal less than you think. Okay. Because you first have to overcome the standard deduction and then start itemizing, and then the amount you itemize is only a benefit up to your tax bracket. So generally, the mortgage interest deduction works best for people who make an enormous income and have a big mortgage. So cash flow is going to be the the, the leading uh, strategy here then. Exactly. So you don't want to be house rich cash poor but if you're in a position where you have available and idle cash earning basically nothing and a mortgage that be great to be done with in five years when you completely bag work Mm -hmm. it's a great idea for you to consider paying off a mortgage if you have that available idle cash you pay it off and then every month you replenish your available cash over the next five years with what would have been your monthly mortgage payment. Gotcha, gotcha. Because when you're looking at a five-year window, your savings today, even if you're doing the best you could to earn on it, you're going to earn like 1.25%. Your mortgage is going to be higher than that by, I don't know what factor. What is your current mortgage rate? 
Uh, 4.875, so it's not great, but it's... So at 4.875, there's a direct advantage to you extinguishing that mortgage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm all for you going mortgage debt-free. Is it something Excellent. you could do, like say, okay, I'm going to do it, and you write a check from savings, or is it something you would just put your mind to and pay extra every month and get it wiped out within the next five years? Probably a combination of the two. I don't have all the liquid cash to be able to do it today, but uh, I can continue to uh, to add to that. And before that window closes, that five-year window closes, the markets could go away. And, you know, there are situations where I don't recommend focusing on going mortgage debt-free in its entirety. So there's one last question for you. If you do this and you put your mind to being mortgage debt-free the day you retire and you owe no mortgage, you have no debts, what money will you have in reserve to live on? Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, fifteen to 20000 would be my would be my, would be my cash reserves. And then, uh, of course, Social Security. And I, I plan to, to continue working part-time. Okay, so you, you would be in a position where you'd have very little monthly carry, so you wouldn't have a mortgage or anything like that. But mm-hmm. without working part-time, what you have to live on is Social Security. No pension. Right. Go ahead. No pension. Uh, nothing like money sitting in a four hundred one k IRA, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's and that's really the money that I would utilize to 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 remove the mortgage is as the, the remainder of my savings. Okay, in that case. Uh, even though there are reasons that we came up with prior that would be mm-hmm. potentially worth doing, in your case, I'd say don't do it and keep paying the mortgage as agreed. Okay. Because I don't want you to end up so cash thin where you don't have any uh, financial cushion at all, and that would put you in a position where you'd be house rich and cash poor. So in your case... I would say just keep paying your mortgage as you're supposed to and keep your savings because you may well need it at the point you retire. Today's Clark Rageous moment is so weird and unusual, I can't even believe I have to tell you this story. But a senior vice president of Bank of America ripped off charities in order to get them to keep quiet and continue receiving charitable donations from Bank of America. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. A couple indicted, of course, indicted is not the same as convicted, but they stand charged by the feds with having stolen nearly $3 million from Bank of America and in turn from charities where the wife who was a senior VP at Bank of America was giving money to charities and then telling them that they had to give her back a portion of those charitable contributions and keep quiet about it or she would cut them off from the bank's generosity with charitable donations. It is Unreal that this went on for five years and the bank vice president 
and her husband worked as co-conspirators working through Bank of America offices in Massachusetts and Georgia to coordinate giving the donations to these charities and then forcing them to pay the kickbacks in the millions of dollars. It is absolutely unreal. Bank of America did nothing wrong. I'd say the charities waited a little long to come forward and say that this was happening, but good that it's now discovered. I think what it says is in any organization, when people have access to the checkbook, you need to have proper oversight over them or else. Because if an organization as big as Bank of America could get swindled this way, what could happen in any other organization? You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. Glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question, clark.com slash ask. Speaking of ask, you can ask off-air for free advice. We can talk with a member of Team Clark and get answers to your questions at absolutely no cost to you. No games, no gimmicks, no gotchas. We're just there to serve you. And at the homepage of Clark.com, you slide down that homepage, you'll see how to get the free off-the-air advice. So, summertime, it's time of year that a lot of people spend more time outside. You may want to become more fit. I'm obsessed with fitness. And I figure, what good is it to save money and invest if you don't take care of yourself and you're not around to enjoy it, right? So I was very interested in a commentary that was in the health and wellness, health and wellness supplement in the Wall Street Journal. It was about the five things, don't you love it how everything is, the five ways to make your life so much better. But this one, is the five secrets of steady exercisers. (laughs) Clickbait, clickbait. Anyway, so there are certain things, and I see myself in many of these things, as somebody who exercises virtually every single day of my life. And I say virtually because there are days I exercise two a days, two exercise cycles a day, and then I might take a day off, but... Over the course of a year, I work out at least 365 times. So rule number one, and this is so true of me, and by the way, uh, it's estimated roughly one-fourth of us are really good about exercising regularly, work out the same time most of the time, or similar time. And I have my absolute pattern that my wife says is obsessive, but I work out right after I have breakfast in the morning. And I do that like every morning. Twice a week, by 10 a.m., I've done 10,000 steps. Those are the two days I do extremely vigorous workout, and by 10, I've done 10,000. The other days, 
I do six the equivalent of 6,000 steps doing whatever exercise I'm doing by 10 a.m. So if you become that kind of creature of habit, you're much more likely to keep that workout up. That comes from a British medical journal. And in addition, there's cross-reference for that from another study in Canada. The other thing is that you have a clear set of things that say to you, subconsciously, it's time to work out. So I wear a ratty t-shirt, gym shorts, and I go get my bagel, and people think I've already worked out. I said, no, no, this is my prep for working out, is having a bagel, and they look at me like I'm crazy, like a fox. Because then I come home, and I immediately start my workout. I also change up my workout, which is very common with people who work out continuously, so you don't get bored with what you do. The pattern of when you work out is similar, but the workout you do changes. And any of a number of things can count in your head as exercise. And so I do vary it. Uh, Just a few days ago, I went on a walk, to call it a walk, it's like at the very least a speed walk with our very hyper labradoodle. And so I'm moving at a speed that's quicker than I really like to move. And when we both get home from that walk, she goes and drinks all the water from her bowl and I have a liter of water. So exercise whatever it is, whatever works for you. But if you are a couch potato, start slow. Don't try to do too much and build up a little bit each day. If you do it gradually before you know it, you'll be the most fit you've been in years and just stick with the habit. Nate's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nate. How are you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Nate. We want to talk about habits with investing. Yeah. What's your scoop? I'm a recent college grad, and I would like to start investing more than the allowable amount into into an IRA, and I'm curious what my options are besides that. So are you self-employed, or do you work at a place that doesn't offer a retirement plan? Uh, I work at a place that doesn't offer one. That's not very nice of them. Well, I understand. <laughs> it's a small business, and uh, that just comes with territory sometimes. Well, the beauty for small businesses now is there are so many plans available that they can offer that won't really cost the small business any significant amount of money. And the main beneficiary of getting one of those plans going is the owner of that business. Really? Yeah. So you might be able to do your boss a big favor if you pitch the idea of having a retirement plan available. How many employees work there? Uh, Less than 10. Yeah, so that's the kind of business that has never had a retirement plan 
because it seems impossible budget-wise. But that's not necessarily true anymore. Okay. So just uh, that's an aside. So for you, um, how do you get health insurance? Do you have it? Uh, Through my wife's plan, yeah. And is hers a high-deductible health plan or a regular? Uh, High-deductible. Right. Do you know if that plan is HSA eligible? Uh, I believe it is. All right. So that's the next place the two of you stash cash. Okay. Because if you are HSA eligible, HSAs offer phenomenal benefits for the two of you because you can put money aside each year and you get a current tax deduction for putting money in it. Then it grows tax-free. And then if you, can, if you can avoid drawing on it, you let it grow tax-free over the years. And then way down the road, it becomes like a second retirement plan to your Roth. Because remember, you got a tax benefit up front, which makes it a step better than a Roth. It grows tax-free. And then when you get older, you have more medical expenses. You pay them with that pre-tax money out of the um, HSA. Okay. I know that's a convoluted, weird way to put additional money aside, but if, in fact, she is in an HSA-eligible plan, it's a huge win for both of you to fund up to the max you're permitted to in an HSA. Okay. Um, Just out of curiosity, did you have any suggestions for um, plans I could pitch to my employer? That is a good question. I gave some examples back in the winter of some plans that were lower cost for small employers. Yep. And trying to remember, I talked about I talked about Betterment was my favorite. You ever heard me mention Betterment? Uh, I have. And so they offer a Betterment for business. And that might be a, a potential thing. And they are straight out with what the costs are for a business plan. There's, in okay. fact, when you go to Betterment on the right, there's something that explains exactly how it works for businesses. Okay. So you can read it first and see if it's worthy of a pitch to your employer. If the fees are such that you'd say, he's never doing that, or she, <laughs> then you won't put yourself in an a, um, awkward situation where yeah. you say, hey, this would be great. And then they say, well, it costs that much? What are you thinking? I'm trying to run a business here. Yeah. All right. Well, it's worth, it's worth looking into. So, And I, I did not it. answer beyond the HSA because that has tight contribution limits. The next thing I would have you and your wife do for additional money, if you're out of the ability to do um, retirement plan savings, is just do simple, broad index funds, like a total stock market index or a total international stock index, um, because those have extremely low costs and very favorable tax treatment and give you greater flexibility than money that goes into a retirement account or your HSA 
and that that money is available to you down the road, but not specifically or strictly because of retirement. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, very much so. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day and continue saving. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Matt. You get to go to Barcelona. I do. I do. I uh, first want to say, I told Kim your show, you're like my spirit father, right? So uh, <laughs> we have so much in common, I believe. Wow. Are you left-handed? I am. I am, too. Ain't your birthday. Now you can cut this off the show, but isn't your birthday June 20th? It is. Mine is, too. And your mother's maiden name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody Everybody can see when my birthday is on Wikipedia or whatever, so I don't keep it a secret that my birthday is June 20. Well, mine is really, too. So, 1982, though. And, uh, and I'm just innately cheap. I've always been really cheap, and I've pride myself in that. That's great. Matter, well, matter of fact, I bought a trip to, when I saw in Clarkfield to... Uh, Barcelona, and I bought that one because it was uh, seven dollars cheaper than Rome total. So I was like, "No, I got to go to Barcelona. Why <laughs> <I> waste seventy dollars?" <laughs> That's funny. Now, I'm there for seven days. And, you know, got a long layover, so really, you arrive Monday, and I, I don't know much about. I'm trying to do some research until we go next year. But uh, should I stay in Barcelona? Should I travel the countryside a little bit? Should I do the fast train? That's kind of ultimately my question. The what fast you, train, the fast train in Spain is really the only smart way. If you're going to go other places, um, now I always offend people who are from Madrid, but I wouldn't waste a minute in Madrid except if you have to change a train there. Uh-huh. I love Toledo. I love Sevilla. Um, we call it Seville. And, and uh, the Costa del Sol is magnificent. I mean, there's so much to, to see, but with seven days, you may find that you're happy just staying in Barcelona and its environs. Okay, so just that whole Catalan region then, just stay right there, or even specifically Barcelona, or that's just... Yeah, I'd say, I'd say in the immediate vicinity, you'll have more than enough to do. Okay, great. And, well, and if you do get the desire to go wander, um, gosh, it's really everything you do, if you've never been to Spain, everything you do, you'll enjoy. Okay. Because it's Correct. new and different. But of the destinations that are hot, hot, hot in the world in terms of in, Barcelona is so in. Because people love going there. Well, I'm excited. Now you were saying the Costa del Sol, is that further down south? Yeah. Or Yeah, the the Costa del Sol is to the southwest from Barcelona. Okay. And there, there are beautiful beach areas, although I'll tell you, I don't think they, um, even though it's different kind of topography, I don't think they beat the quality of the beaches that we have in Florida. Oh, really? Yeah, so I know that's going to upset <laughs> other Spaniards. I'm just throwing myself right in it. But I can tell you the trip will be outstanding. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show, and Jim, you have seen price increase after price increase after price increase from one of my favorite insurers. In your case, is it Amica? It is. The rumor is true. Amica Mutual is such an awesome company, but they haven't been awesome to your wallet, huh? They, They have not been. My conundrum is, 
is how should one shop for insurance? Because, you know, you said once words to the effect that, you know, there's no point in having insurance if the carrier isn't going to pay the claim. So you want uh, a carrier with a good reputation. So I, I've been with Amica for over a decade. And, um, you know, if if one goes to your website, there's only four top-rated carriers. One of them I can't use because it's, you know, USAA and you have to be military. Well, if you look at Consumer Reports' recent rating, only five made the cut. Where's number six and number seven? And what's the delta between, like, number six and number one in terms of, is it huge, you know, in terms of, you know, service? and? Uh, well, according to the most recent Consumer Reports data, Amica has passed USAA to number one. And Amica, USAA, and an insurer called Erie, which I don't know anything about, E-R-I-E, Erie, okay. all score in the 90s. And those are the three that you could call the elites. Now, those are the only three that get the highest rating across every testing category. Is it worth considering uh, carriers that are just below that? And if so, how do you find out? So the two that are just below that, and this is for homeowners. I don't know if you were talking about homeowners or auto. Well, home, I have both with the media, right. but primarily homeowners. All right, so homeowners, the other two that made the cut are MetLife and auto owners. Okay. But neither of them scored as high as Amica, USAA, and Erie. Okay, so here's another question about shopping for this stuff. So when you deal with Amica or even Liberty Mutual, you can buy the insurance straight from the company. But for, say, you know, Erie or auto owners, you have to go to an agent. Is it, is it a good idea? Let's say one settles on Erie. I don't know that I'm going to do that, but let's say I do. Uh, is it a good idea to shop between brokers who are each offering Erie just to kind of compete against brokers? No, I, I wouldn't say so. I think if you pick an independent agent, you use that agent and you trust him or her to quote for you four companies that work with agents, and then with the direct writers, you use them. But the one thing I'd say before you fire Amica is call them and tell them you're really nervous about the premium increases. What can you do that might lower the premium? Give them one shot, since you're with the best, give them one shot to see if they can make it work for you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you tuning in to The Clark Howard Show. And if you'd like more fun stuff to listen to by podcast, well, we have our Empowerment Zone. This is where you get to hear the stories of people that have done amazing things, either in overcoming hardship in their lives or things they've done to accomplish, go to clark.com slash empowerment zone.